0: because also my mom can't cook. My mom is not a good cook. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her to death. Like she dropped off like two buckets of beans at the house, like just at the door, like here and I'm like, what am I gonna do with these? Like it's <laughs> they're you know she's That's just sweet. like, throw this away from me, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome back to activist class. Uh, my name is Speck and I'm here with Myra.
2: Hello.
1: Aretha.
3: Hello. Chrissy. Hi, guys.
1: Day. Hello. And our very special guest, author and public speaker and all around creative person, uh, Ijeoma Luo. She's helped put together the uh, Artist Relief Fund in Seattle, which has raised and distributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, local area artists um, struggling to get through this time that we're living in. Um, Ijeoma, can you uh, just give kind of like the broad overview of what the Artist um, Relief Mm -hmm. Fund is and how it started and how it's, what phase is it at right now? What does it look like? Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, definitely. So um, as I said, I'm a writer and a speaker and the majority of my income comes from public speaking. And at the end of February, in the beginning of March, I started to see my events, which are mostly larger, be canceled left and right. And I was talking to my partner and talking to my assistant about it, and realized that probably by the first week of March, I had three months' worth of work canceled. And we were looking financially, and we're like, you know what? We're going to be okay. And I went up to talk to my partner, who's a musician and a DJ, and um, said yeah you know we're really lucky we're going to be okay and at the same time he was looking at a friend of his who's a dj who was posting that he had lost the gigs he needs to pay his rent and we realized quickly that this was going to hit our entire community the entire creative community really hard and i had just talked to my assistant ebony abringo who's also an arts administrator and She was like, well, I'm really bored right now if you have anything to throw my way because you don't have any gigs right now. And so I called her and I said, you know, would it be cool if I kind of repurposed your work towards a fundraiser for artists? And we had had a couple of smaller fundraisers, like when we had that big snow to help parents like feed their kids when they were out of school. And I realized how quickly the Seattle community kind of comes out for its own and with the size of my platform, how quickly we can get the word out. And Ebony was overjoyed at the chance to work on this. So we took the weekend to kind of to work on it and just created you know, a GoFundMe. And our goal with this was basically to get money directly to artists as quickly as possible, with as little barrier as possible, with a focus to make sure that we were reaching out to um, marginalized communities, especially, who are often cut off from funding opportunities. And we went live on the Monday, and by that Friday, we had raised over $100,000. And then we suddenly had an issue of how to get this much money out to so many people. Mm -hmm. And that's when Langston stepped up and Tim Lennon at Langston stepped up and said, "Whatever you need," and he started dedicating himself twelve, fourteen hours a day to handwriting checks from Langston and sending them out to artists. Whoa! And that's amazing. Yeah, it's just been—he's been, he's been yeah, so amazing great. through this whole process. So they they stepped up to be our fiscal sponsor, um, which increased our fundraising ability as well because it allowed us to take in tax deductible donations and you know and matching um, donations. Mm. And so where we are at right now, we have had thousands of donors um, who have donated money. We've been able to send out over $500,000 directly to Seattle artists. Over 900 artists have received emergency funding. It's amazing. But we have about 1,000 on the wait list who we can't fund Mm. right now because... Everyone, I think, every individual who has given money has given. We've only had, I think, three major donors out of that five hundred thousand. Oh, wow. The rest has been people giving their ten dollars, twenty bucks, their gas yeah. money. People who honestly should be applying for funding themselves. And we we are really looking right now for larger corporations, for um, you know all these places who I, who you know as a speaker I know have money to pay for entertainment to come out to their conferences to put money towards this, to make sure that the arts still exists when this is done. But every time we get money, every couple of days, we'll realize we have like 20,000 more and we send it directly out. Um, so it's been amazing, you know, in about a month to have sent out half a, half a million dollars to Seattle artists. And we just hope that we'll be able to keep doing it, um, but also hope that we can be a part of a transition to a more long-term sustainable way to um, keep artists going through this crisis.
1: Um, What what that looks like at this point, Um, that and what the next phase and like the more sustainable?
0: No, I really don't. I mean, unfortunately, we've seen some union, um, some calls to unionize. The problem is, is really when we're talking about discussions on a state level or even a city level, um, if you were if you're outside of an arts organization, the arts have been really forgotten. And even in discussions around unemployment and things like that, People haven't um, really looked at how difficult it really has been for artists to be able to qualify, even with, you know, these expanded parameters. Uh, I've been pushing, we are, there are a group of concerned um, Seattle area people in the arts who've been meeting up every week to try to talk Uh. about how we transition to longer term. Um, But the problem I think is, is of course, when we all started this, no one knew how long this was going to last. We knew that the arts would be hit longest and hardest right because even once we start easing restrictions it's still going to be a while before someone can throw a concert it's going to be a while before someone can get a gig in a club um and that means that we need a long-term emergency strategy and then we need strategies in place to make sure that our arts community isn't one disaster you know one crisis away from absolute ruin the way it is right now. So, you know, we're really pushing, trying to to work with the city, with different counties, to say, you know, what are we going to do long-term to make sure that um, the artists and their venues, especially the smaller venues, um, survive this because this is one of many things that can happen to the Seattle Arts community each day. And we're actually kind of lucky that it hasn't happened before this. But the truth is, is I think we all know artists and performers who have to leave Seattle or have to give up their art um, on, on a regular basis because there's already an extremely high cost of living in this city. Mm-hmm. The issues that we're talking about that need to happen are the issues that need to happen for many industries, right? We're talking about labor protections. We're talking about, you know, living wages. We're talking about affordable housing, Um and we're talking about grants and we're talking about the racial inequities of who gets funding for shows, you know, who gets um, loans for their venues. Uh, these are all issues that we really need to address because I'm really afraid that we're going to get through this and find that it's only the large, wealthy, wide-owned venues that survive this and mm. that the, you know, that we will lose a generation of artists who really mm can't sustain that work and end up you know i'm talking to artists who are really thinking of leaving the city altogether
4: it's like the shake shacks getting 10 mil and the lakers in la getting the a small yeah they got a bunch of money too
3: the lakers they got, did they got shit they
0: got, sh-
4: they, got, shit. <laughs> they, got a, they got shit for it and they yeah. gave what it the back fuck? but yeah good um, that is what wild are, so what are the specific uh guidelines you guys are using for artists to sign up for your Um, fun.
0: Our goal is really simple. So um, you basically go to a survey, you fill it out, and you're basically listing kind of your demographics, which we're tracking just to make sure that we're reaching um, all of the communities we need to reach. Mm -hmm. And then you basically list the gigs you've lost, how much Mm. you've lost, and what you would need to get by. And then we are basically going through and paying a percentage of that. We can't even hit that full what you need, right? Because some people have right. lost so much. So we have basically a formula we run through to make sure that it's pretty impartial. Um, and then we just check our, our metrics and make sure are we still hitting communities of color? Are they still, you know, applying at the rate we need them to? Are we still hitting disabled communities you know, queer and trans communities um, to make sure that, you know, everyone is getting the funding they you know, at least getting some funding. It's certainly not what everyone needs, but... You know, we're hearing from people saying, this paid the rent on my studio for this month. And now, you know, I, know mm. I have to work or this bought me groceries or got my meds, you know. And so um, that's kind of it. We, I, I grew up in the system, you know. I grew up on all sorts of assistance to get by. My family was really poor. And I remember just the humiliation of like all the hoops you have to mm-hmm. go through. Mm-hmm. And I also know as a creative how shit I am at paperwork and all yeah. of these things and thinking about going through this trauma and thinking about all of these other artists who basically turned into full-time grant writers mm-hmm. trying to find a way to mm-hmm. sustain themselves. I just didn't want to be a part of that added stress and strain. I thought, I think that Seattle can afford to trust people more. So we really have a low barrier to assistance. Um, and it's pretty, you know, I think people, once they start listing their gigs, it's pretty easy to tell who artists are and who they aren't. And um, we've seen a lot of community, a lot of people we love and look, look up to um, applying and receiving funding. And, you know, we're happy to help, but it's also really heartbreaking to see how quickly uh, everyone's really been devastated. Because you mentioned
2: um, your worry about um, that you're afraid that the more white rich venues are the ones that are going to survive and other smaller and DIY venues could more than likely disappear. Um, I mean, that's something that we've been grappling with in this city for a long time now with the ongoing waves of gentrification, right? So, and and on top of that, so add that layer. And then on top of that, when the ghost fire or ghost ship fire broke out in Oakland, that added another layer of, uh, vigilance and, and enforcement over DIY spaces, right? So what, what's, the, how, what's the conversation about around spaces like that that are definitely, you know, struggling right now?
0: You know, that's it's really tough. Um, there's a lot of people who really don't think they're going to make it through Mm. Um, Especially, you know, we have places that we're just establishing, right? We're really hitting into, Mm. we were getting into a real productive season for the arts, especially for any sort of performing arts. So we had a lot of venues um, and restaurants um, Mm. that were own, you know, that were just starting up by community, you know, people of color um, and they're in real dire space. And so I'm not seeing a real fundamental effort to make sure that they keep going. I've definitely seen people who have been paying their rent, you know, with a combination of funds they've been able to receive for one month, but that took them, you know, scrambling, and now they don't know what they're going to do, you know, for this upcoming month. Um, I'm very concerned about it. One thing that is I am seeing is some creativity in communities of color that is, that is inspiring me. Um, And it's, it's wonderful and also it worries me, right? You know, so looking at things like, um, the community kitchen that we have where, you know, we have restaurant owners of color coming together to feed the community. Um, That is a beautiful way to sustain business and to sustain communities of color. But I also worry because what I've seen with our fundraiser is the moment that there is some sort of thing out there that you see that seems to be working a lot of government um, agencies and a lot of larger funders feel like they're off the hook
2: and they're exactly. like, oh, we've
0: got it yeah. we don't really have to do anything so what we've definitely seen is a shocking lack of investment um, people who normally love to look really good and love to put their money towards good causes to show that they're doing the right thing are really holding tight because they're questioning how impacted they're going to be. And it's a really selfish and and self-fulfilling prophecy when it comes to, you know, if you're if you're a business in this community, you need this community to thrive if you want to mm-hmm. do well. And the bigger a business you are, the more you need that. And yet we're seeing these uh, purse strings really tighten up. And so I've talked to other people who work in, in fundraising who and they're like, they're stunned at how little money is being released um, to help people get by. And that's a conversation we needed to directly have because it's something I'm definitely hearing across the board. Um, We should have an outpouring. And we do for things, you know, that we do oftentimes for, you know, in times of war or natural disaster, right? We see, but for some reason this right now, I think has big money people scared in a way that's making them exceptionally selfish and um we're not going to get through that way and we really you know i we i know we're we're all turning a little communist in this right we're all looking at you know should we have billionaires no we should not have billionaires anyways um but the truth is is that we have to really start having conversations not just about should we have billionaires but what do billionaires owe right now and what do they need to be doing right now Mm -hmm. and we're not having enough of that. And I think it's because we're all in crisis. We're all worried and we have to, because we won't get through if this money stays hoarded in these areas. Mm-hmm.
4: Did you see Chance the Rapper's tweet about if uh, we should turn into communists or socialists after this is all over?
0: <laughs> no, I didn't.
4: Yeah, it's, I think it's, if it's affecting Hollywood celebs, maybe the conversation is becoming more mainstream. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, like oh, my yeah.
0: parents are all like, screw this. Why didn't you know you're like watching right. everyone's everyone's grandparents are suddenly a lot more socialist than they were a couple months mm. ago. Good, good. So you mentioned
3: earlier that um, the creative economy is going to hit, be hit longest and hardest. And in 2008, during the Great Recession, something similar happened um, and the the arts community, the arts and culture sector was hit first and recovered last. And I think, you know, that's partially because people see art as something frivolous. And um, we've definitely seen people show their true colors, I think in this crisis too, when it comes to like the things that they say they support, like you said, how donors who like typically support the arts Um, have stepped away or have not stepped up enough. And I think it's really similar with, like, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, air quotes. (laughs) People are just, like, pulling back on their budgets in areas where they don't think it's necessary. Um, And I'm curious if you've learned any lessons from the Great Recession that you feel, like, apply now to this crisis. And, like, what the conversation has been with other folks like at the city level who you may be talking to or with funders who you may be talking to who can look back from that time um and artists too you know who look back on that time and think like how, what could be different now so that we can weather this differently
0: you know one thing i would definitely say is What we're learning is is first and foremost how short our memories are right Mm -hmm. so some of us remember but very few people are talking about past recessions um and when they are they're talking very inaccurately so the the discussions we're having a lot right now right are about the new deal um forgetting of course how incredibly racially and gender biased that was and how really what it created was a white middle class Mm -hmm. um and I think right now, when we look at the Great Recession, we forget the the creativity and the community building that had to go in to get through that. And we constantly look and act as if um, we're going to have like one big savior. We constantly think when we look at the industries that were impacted, then we look at the industries that got them through. They're not even the same industries that are going to get us through now. And yet we keep acting like it's these big industries that have to survive um, when, we, when we look at what creates lasting growth, it's looking at small businesses, independent businesses, and independent creators um, to really get us by. The more people that we have engaged and profitable and able to feed their families in that way, the better and healthier our economy is. There are no, I, can, I can't think of any really healthy democratic economies that make it off of Amazon alone or a company like Amazon, right? And Yes, we are acting right now as if Boeing can't fail, right? We're acting right now as if Amazon needs to get what Amazon wants. And and if those places are fine, that Seattle will be fine. And that's not what saved Seattle last time. It's not what's going to save Seattle this time. And it's certainly not what's going, to lead, what, what's going to lead to the stability that we need to be able to weather this. Mm-hmm. The truth is, is that part of the devastation that we're seeing in creative communities, especially in like the maker community right now and in small business communities, is because we acted as if these larger businesses were the only places to go. And the infrastructure we have built right now is to ensure that they're going to be the only places that survive. We have to think differently um, because... I am really afraid of of what Seattle is going to look like after this. If we don't really turn to people who have been creative, who have learned how to hustle, who have learned, you know, who know where the customers are, who know how to build community, who know that a sustained community is a community that will also sustain them. And that's really what we have to be learning. When, when I, right now, when I'm having conversations with, People, A, who are heavily invested in the arts and let's say work at, you know, city and state levels. I think right now what they're doing is desperately trying to just get people to understand that the arts matter. (laughs) And it's really frustrating right now because everyone is turning to the arts right now. No one can get through these quarantines without the arts. Everyone. I mean, think about you know how much returning to music, returning to books, right? We're people are running out of paint. I'm seeing adults tie dyeing their shirts again. You know, like people are are desperate for creativity, and they are desperate to connect with other people creatively. And the people who sustain that, the people who teach that, the people who you know write the books that you're going to read, the people who you know teach you how to paint they have to survive this. And what we've always done in this region especially is we've divorced art from its creators and we've acted as if um, these like fairies come in at night and create all of this art and leave it as a gift for us in the morning instead of people who have bills to pay and you know who, who need to be um, compensated for their work. And I really, I am not seeing the shift that we need to see where people are saying this art is worth this much money. This art that is keeping me sane, keeping me going through this crisis, is worth this much to me. What we're seeing is is people continuously expecting it will still show up for free, right? Now people are Mm -hmm. expecting it's gonna show up in their Instagram lives. It's gonna show up in their Facebook lives. It's gonna be there to get them through and it's gonna be the same magic process that they thought it always had. Um, People are not looking at online spaces as venues. They don't look at it as a place where you should be paying a cover and you should. And I think that that conversation lies to how little we actually appreciate and respect artists themselves. We respect the art. We don't respect the artists and we're going to have to look at that. And really, you know, if we want arts to survive, you know, past this crisis and past any other crisis, we're going to have to look at what it means to support the artists who are creating now and also um, support artists who are up and coming.
5: Um, Over the last couple episodes, we've been talking to different people who are um, engaging in mutual aid efforts. Uh, We talked to some Undaki folks last week um, and they have a fun going and the community kitchen's going. Um, We're just seeing across the board, community step up first and quickest to actually having each other's backs. And I'm always, I mean, we know better, but I'm always kind of shocked at how slow institutions are to actually catch up with what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know as someone who works for the city, we really try and pride ourselves on things being quote unquote low barrier um, to disperse funds or just to you know, have access to programming. Um, but when it comes to mutual aid efforts, it seems like folks are able to do that so much more effectively and actually in relationship with, with those who they're trying to serve. Um, so coming out of one day when we come out of this pandemic, um, what are the the changes that you're hoping to see the city or any of these institutions make to actually truly be a low barrier and actually accessible?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think part of this it when we look at this, it's kind of it's a part of that, you know, a larger look at like the nonprofit industrial complex, right? It's, the idea, how we look at money, how we look at funding, how we look at emergency aid is often steeped in white supremacy, white supremacist thought, right? The paternalism that we know what's best. So even low barrier in a definition where you think that you know where it goes, you know who needs to be reached out to and you know who qualifies and who doesn't. Um, it betrays a high level of distrust of the communities that you serve, it betrays a disconnect from the communities you serve. And it betrays a feeling of superiority over the communities you serve. We have to break from that pattern. We absolutely have to, because so long at what I always tell people, you know, I used to talk at nonprofits and stuff before this, I would give talks and they would say, even if this is the community you came from, The moment you step into this room and you're meeting with these boards and these funders, you have become removed from the community you serve. And you have to be aware of that. And you have to be aware of what that brings to you. The moment that you start putting barriers on this funding that you would have never put when you were on the receiving end, you are divorced from this community. And I always would like to bet on people. And I definitely see a difference when I look at a lot of these community efforts. What I'm seeing often is these are led by people of color. The ones that are getting out the fastest and are more directly impacting the communities are led by people of color. And for our fund, it's four black artists basically supporting as much of the Seattle arts community as we can. When we look at the community kitchen, right, we've got, I think, five chefs of color supporting Mm -hmm. communities of color um, and supporting, you know, the entire community around their area. And what was funny for me, I think I had a moment where I, I was laughing because, you know, we're just sending it as quickly as possible. Right. We just want to get people, we know that people's medication can't wait until something comes through. And there was one um, white musician who was like aghast and he was like, all over Facebook. What do you mean? This is you're setting up for a scam. You just give it to anyone, and I'm like, dude, do you need money or not? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> you yeah always, always white people that worry about this shit. <laughs> yeah, right. You know. Yeah, just, it's
0: like, always them. Where's you know? the spreadsheet? <laughs> What's your? what How are you ensuring that these people really need the funds? And blah blah blah. You mm-hmm. know? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm gonna trust, um, mm-hmm. and and we have to. And the amount of resources and time and people we lose trying to vet everything um, instead of saying, how can we get into every community where where there's need? How can we reach even more people? How can we get more people to apply? How can we make sure that we're not turning people away? Um, You know, it wastes resources, it wastes energy, and it defeats our purpose. And so what I would really, really like to see is I want at the end. Uh, I want our state and city officials, I want our foundations, I want our nonprofits to look at who, when you ask people who are struggling, who got them through, look and see if it's them or not, because chances are it's not going to be, and what do they need to learn how you know maybe they need to start directly funding the people who've been doing the work, mm-hmm. maybe they really start need to start reducing those sorts of barriers and I know that there are people in these segments who desperately would like to do it differently. That was the interesting thing when when we started this fund, you know we are trusted individuals in the community, right? Which definitely helped us from a fundraising perspective. People know who I am, people know who Gabriel is, people know who Ebony is, everyone knows who Tim is, um, and everyone knows and loves Langston. And we started hearing from people who work at these large nonprofits who can't get money out and just saying, oh, thank God, we're so glad you exist. Because Mm -hmm. it's so frustrating to know that it's going to be weeks before any of our funds can get to people. So we need to look at what those barriers are because I do know that there are people doing the work at these foundations, um, doing the work in in government who would love to actually be giving direct funding to people right now and can't. So why aren't we listening to those instincts of these people? Why aren't we enabling that? Why do we think that it is important? You know, if one in 20 people scam me, I'm fine. I get to help more people. Yeah. it's worth it. Whatever effort they put towards that, it's completely worth it to know that someone didn't have to beg and cry to know that Mm -hmm. people who may not have access to resources or connections weren't cut out of this. You know, I want to be a part of humanizing mutual aid um, instead of security. And that's really what we need to look at. And so I'm really hoping that the powers that be look at this and realize that they failed their communities, and they need to look to the people who didn't and say, what do we need to start adopting in order to make sure that we don't fail our communities again?
3: They're the scam. And like the billionaires yeah. are the scam.
0: Yeah.
5: yeah the scam. Yes.
3: And honestly, capitalism so is more, the greatest scam. Capitalism is the greatest scam of all. So much energy the greatest put scam in all the time. to scrutinizing how poor people are spending their money and no one's mm-hmm. scrutinizing how billionaires, are making their money and hoarding their money. And it's like, and not even billionaires, just like all of the philanthropists Mm -hmm. in Seattle and the entire, like the way that all of our foundations are set up. Yeah. I
2: I think it was, uh, I I just looked at this recently, but Carrie moon posted something on online about how currently we have so much money hoarded through philanthropic efforts that they're not required Mm -hmm. to spend it, you know? So, um, uh, I recently had a very frustrating conversation with uh, someone trying to do good uh, applying for a grant. And I remember she offhandedly said, Well, this is why we can't just tax the rich because then they'll never give us money, right? So that's like that nonprofit industrial complex mindset working in there that we need these rich. art lovers to give money to the arts, right? Mm -hmm. But now we're seeing that during a crisis, they're like, oh no, no, no. we only like art the product that makes us feel good, Mm -hmm. not giving money to artists so they can eat, you know? (laughs) So it's just like how, and and then at the same time, like you were just saying, you, you, the community does the mutual aid, does the, like, gives the money out quickly, fast, and then all these institutions see this and they're like, oh, maybe you don't need us, wow, you're so resilient, wow, you don't need us, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So it's like, how do you go between those forces of, you know, yes, institutions are slow, but we need them because they, that that's just like such a cultural, like knowledge base that you can't just lose. And clearly they're racist and they don't know, they don't help the people that are hurting actually. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you maneuver between those forces and try to, you know,
0: Yeah, we're trying this balance right now, right? Where it's like, you know, I'm actively trying to get money to know that, you know, we can keep our artist community and especially keep our artist community of color and our queer and trans artist community going. I will do whatever it takes to get that money, right? So I am kissing as much rich as possible to try to get that money. I am Mm. cozying up to as many people as possible. I don't care. I need to get, you know, people are on the line. yeah Yeah. but what we really need to talk about and you know we're kind of doing this mix of like please 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 and also how dare you how dare you not how Mm -hmm. dare you make us beg this is so ridiculous this is so embarrassing um we're supposed to be better than this as a city and of course we have so many ways that we show that we aren't and so it's this mix of like hey I know it's easy to forget we exist, right? And I think that's part of it. In this broad conversation, when's the last time you turned on news talking about coronavirus and they talked about how this was impacting the arts community? Talked about the people who aren't eligible for, you know, unemployment. And when they talk about the arts, how often are they talking um, broadly and inclusively about the arts? How often are they talking about um, exotic dancers, right? How often are they talking about these professions that people are deemed less worthy of assistance? Um, We're not talking about it and we're instead saying well let's focus on the small business guy that we know will qualify for unemployment because that that fits into this you know kind of respectability politics that we're playing around funding and so what i really need is for businesses to and organizations and foundations to give up their money and get out of the way to just say you know what This isn't my wheelhouse. I didn't even know. I forgot you existed right now. I was in crisis. I forgot you existed. Obviously, I'm not the person to manage this. Here's a chunk of money. Uh, We need some trust. Um, And then afterwards, once we're out of this crisis, we really need to have some fundamental conversations about how we got where we are so quickly. It Mm -hmm. is So embarrassing that one month in the crisis, one of the richest cities in the country would have millions of people not knowing how they're going to feed their families, how they're going to pay their bills, how they're going to get their medications. That should be so embarrassing, it is so shameful. And so we need to start, you know, we need to gear up for that. But right now we need to get people through. I'm not going to sacrifice Mm -hmm. people who are already hurting for that broader conversation. Right now I just need people to give their money up and then, you know, we need to have that conversation after. Right. The
3: people who work at the POC cultural institutions too, they are POC and sometimes first and second generation, and don't have a safety net to fall back on Mm -hmm. if they are furloughed in the same way that folks who are white and have generational wealth do at those larger arts institutions. And so we know we have to protect our people because what else do they have? Like if there's a gap between unemployment, that gap is like food on the table. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a completely different experience.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. I I totally agree. Institutions fetishize their buildings. Oh God. <laughs> so true. It's all about the landmark. That's yeah. it. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Something you had said earlier about how, you know, as we as artists are trying to just like stabilize themselves. Um, but I'm also wondering like what does that transition look like into whatever this new world that we're gonna exist in, right? Like people actually, you know, like as consumers, actually coming to terms with the fact that like we need to be paying for Online venues, like it's not just all going to happen on Instagram Live. Um, what do you think that transition is going to look like? I mean, obviously, people have to like get their needs met first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm we're seeing so much happen in different ways, right? Like your your first keynote um, online, and so I'm interested to see what that what your your thoughts are going mm-hmm. forward.
0: Yeah, um, I think that you know, I think that we're seeing some shifts in ways that show that there are pathways forward, right? So. Hmm but we're seeing it mostly with established artists, right? So we're seeing that established Mm -hmm. artists are really quickly able to, you know, Erica Badu can hold a concert and charge money and make money. What I am hoping is that established artists will start treating their platforms like venues. Mm -hmm. Um, They will do, you know, a shift away from what can this get me to what can, how can this support my peers who need it and up and coming artists. and I am seeing also when it comes to, from a writing standpoint, right? You know, I've been a writer for a while. I have been through the whole demise of print and the rebirth of print. Mm-hmm. And it has been really devastating for um, writers of books in particular to have bookstores closed. Because what we're seeing is people are buying a ton of books, but they're buying classics. They're so like, oh, I'm going to, you know, read more in peace now that I'm home. Mm. Um, to, you usually have to be in a bookstore to see a new book that appeals to you and pick it up. Um, but we are seeing though that people at least recognize they need this material and they need to pay for it. So we are seeing an increase in money coming into many papers that have paywalls, right? And donations to keep those running. We are seeing people ordering more books online. Um, what I want to see though is for people to start recognizing new and emerging talent in those fields. And so if we can have a conversation around um, what it means to sustain everything the way that we want to sustain our favorite news site, um, what does it mean to sustain the new music, the artists that you don't know you love yet, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to buy art instead of just looking for pretty pictures of art? You know, what does it mean to... um, when you're out shopping, and a lot of people are doing retail therapy right now, if you're going out and shopping for some new earrings that make you feel good, are you looking towards independent creators, or are you looking, you know, towards big box stores? Um, but part of that means what we need to see is um, the a conversation and resources around transitioning smaller creators to be able to have an online space so look at things like if you're doing video production how do we get equipment for quality video production I'm in a very dark room right now because I don't care but I actually have like a ring light downstairs and I was like should I bring it up and I was like fuck it I'm not going to but <laughs> don't worry about it you know um, <laughs> But the truth is, it's like if you're trying to create something online and you're trying to charge, you're going to need that, right? Um, if you're, if you're right. recording, you know, how are we getting recording equipment out to artists who used to go to communal recording studios? Mm. How are we, you know, supporting our visual artists to move their work online? And, yeah. and it doesn't take a lot. You know, I heard from an art, a crafter who was saying, you know, that that one month of funding we were able to give, that one chunk helped, got them what they needed to transition their business online. And Mm. so it looks a lot, not just about getting audiences to appreciate what's there, but providing that infrastructure in a way that makes sure that, you know, it's not just the people who already have their full computer set up, who already have their lighting and their recording set up. Um, You know, my partner just sent all of his, um, you know, for, for Christmas, I got him a studio set up back there and he just sent his old mic and all his equipment to a younger artist who didn't have equipment at home so that they could continue to record um you know what does it look like to make sure that everyone can continue to create quality work through this and reach the audiences so that when audiences are out there looking can find it what does it look like to network what does it look like to have um, bookstores that that have been able to transition online to highlight emerging writers in a way Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have before. Um, You know, what does it look like for music sites to start highlighting emerging musicians in a way they Mm hadn't before? And, you know, what does it look like, you know, for platforms that do create money and make money? What does it look like for them to give resources to make sure that people can, you know, really onboard that easily? Um, and also looking at the model that we use, right? We have, we will have to move away from the advertising model yeah. um, to get funds to artists because that really will always disadvantage emerging artists. Um, and we need to move towards, you know, more direct funding. More, you like this, you pay this much to access it. Um, but that means that we're going to have to start looking at these things like venues. And I would love to see us actually look at everywhere that you find art, like an actual venue that you found art. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, even as someone who writes a lot of articles online, it's amazing the difference. People will pick up my book and have no problem with that, right? They're like, I paid this money for the book. Sometimes people will be like, someone gave me a book and I get like these letters and people will put 20 bucks in there and be like, someone lent me the book, but I wanted to make sure you got paid for it. But oh my goodness! If I write an article that has a paywall, people are like, "What? I had to pay a dollar oh. to read this article, right?" You know, and they're like, "How? Yeah. How dare <laughs> you?" Right? Um, and, and it's just you know, oh, well, how <laughs> <breaks loose. laughs> yeah. They're like, you know, I still I still have to get paid for this work, no matter where it happens, and my editor has to get
5: paid for the work, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. All these, you know, people. Um, we we don't cease to have needs when the when work exists in this space. The only thing I can hope is that because everyone is right now kind of in a virtual space, except for essential workers, um, that maybe we'll start all recognizing the value of that time in that space and start treating it like a real space um, mm-hmm. in a way that we're not right now.
2: Yeah. I think we're also noticing, I think you just mentioned this too, that, that it's not too unlike our meat space, right? Like in the sense that only large companies get to have own that much land or or have that much control over what we consume right and it's very similar to our online spaces um artists are definitely struggling to find their spot right uh and and i have been seeing like some emerging trends like you can subscribe to an artist um, there's some good places to buy music and and th- that are some uh once every month giving all the proceeds to the artists so they don't they don't take a cut so i you do see small steps but it's 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 not enough
0: yeah. and yeah. i think we're going to have to just keep having really open conversations because i think right now people don't make the connections like people don't realize oh wait i've been consuming art this whole time made by artists what you know oh i also the work i do every day now is in a virtual space And if I expect to get paid when I'm working online, maybe I should expect the people whose work I am enjoying to get paid for their work they do online as well. Uh, You know, if we don't make the connections, a lot of people won't make it themselves because we're busy and we're stressed and we're scared. You know, Mm -hmm. we have to make those connections for people, which means we need to start having a lot more conversations
5: about it. Are there some new artists that you've uncovered during this time that you are really excited about? Oh man, Um, you know, I bought
0: um, a painting from Carolyn Hitz the other day. It is gorgeous. I'm so excited about it. Um, I bought a lovely like boob mug. um, (laughs) That's horrible! From the artist uh, on Instagram that's like busted ceramics. No, they're beautiful, they're like beautiful, real boobs real saggy awkward lopsided boobs and i love them so, so many much. pun
5: jokes that can come from and that. it's in my
0: living room and i'm sure you know yeah i'm
5: sure the kids are going to
0: turn around one day and be like what because they haven't quite <laughs> out know, it's there yet <laughs> uh, um <laughs> <Those> <laughs> did you get, a, did you get a pair <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just one it, well, they, it's it's like a cup with like two and i got to pick out the you oh. know the boobs that oh, i nice. wanted oh, um, custom uh, boobs and so, um, you know, I've been having a lot of fun. What I've, you know, been looking at often is, is people who've been um, coming, talking about, you know, the fundraiser in Seattle, um, check, you know, clicking on their links and they're like, oh, thanks yeah. thank you. Know, I'm like, oh my gosh, you make such a cool thing. I want that thing, you know, oh, yeah. and kind of supporting <laughs> that way. Um, I've also been like buying from black artists um, and my sister-in-law and my brother, Signed me up for this really cool thing. It's not necessarily Seattle-based, but there have been Seattle artists, I think, in every one so far. It's, it's called Black Box, and it's like a it's a quarterly um, subscription. And oh, you cool. get a box full of items made by Black creators. And that was really dope. That's I hilarious. got my first one this week, and it was like shea butter and candles and a really cool ceramic beatbox necklace, which is like my favorite wow. thing in the world. Oh, and like, cool. Um, So, you know, finding all the different ways in which we're getting... uh, So fly. Yeah, you know, really, really dope stuff out there. And, And it's important to just look, you know, like go online, find, if you find one creator you like, look at who they're connected to and then look who they're connected to and look who they're connected to. Right. Start, you know, scanning these areas. Um, if you go and you find, you know, when I go through like even Etsy, like I'm buying all my masks from Etsy. I'm, you know, buying my apron from independent creators. Think of all the ways in which, you know, that's really what I'm you know, trying to do. Like, like, wait, I could buy this online shirt sure, or I could from a random company or I could like find someone who sews and see, you know, what yeah. they charge for that. Um, you know, it's been fun watching musicians continue to create, which is definitely something like my partner would speak on a lot more than me because he remembers names of everyone and he's very excited about what younger um, artists in Seattle are coming up with. Um, but you know, it's just, there's so much happening and I would say emerging artists especially are trying so hard to be really creative at this time and Mm. I would feel really bad if someone was coming onto the scene right now and we totally ignored them because they weren't established before this happened. Someone who really Mm. probably had a lot of answers as to how we get through this together. And we didn't see it because they weren't established. So, you know, start reaching out. You know, I like to think of it like, you know, artists used to hand out like their mixtapes on the street, right? And you'd be like, no man, you know, and leave. Like, (laughs) we need to start we need to start accepting those virtual mixtapes, right? We need to start listening to that thing because um, that's how every artist started. Right. And we have to recognize that like, you know, why not? And also like, what else are we going to do? Why not? Like now the perfect time. Now's the perfect yeah. time. I can't, you know, even as I was like finishing up and writing, like I was putting some low level music and I would just like, like, okay, I'm gonna randomize this and pick some things I've never heard before, and I'm gonna kind of fall down these rabbit holes because why not, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, look into that. And um, I think right now is a great time for us to be really, really thoughtful and creative with how we spend our money. We are making a lot of decisions. All we have right now is purchasing power. We really can't get into the streets right now, right? Um, but we're still having to buy things. And so every time we do that, think, can I put this in, into a creative way? Can this be mm-hmm. something that someone makes? Even when I was like, I, the other day I needed a fruit bowl. Like we're eating a lot more fruit at home. I don't <laughs> yeah. have a fruit bowl and it's fruit fly season and fruit is ra- ending up in random, random ass places. I needed a fruit bowl. And I was like, well, I could order one online from like a big company or, and I ended up finding like these, you know, West African weavers living in, in the States who We've these huge fruit bowls, right? And I was like, oh my God, right? There's so many creative yeah. things in our day-to-day life as well that we can support artists for, you know, and um we should we should do that. What's
4: Absolutely. what's the most random thing you've bought in quarantine so far? <laughs> oh my god.
0: You know, I have bought so many things. So the thing <laughs> that happens with me is I love buying things. I love new things. I love, especially things people have made. Um, but I also love gadgets, you know, Mm. and I only shop when I'm by myself and I have (laughs) and so I'm a morning person and my partner is a night person. And if he sleeps in, he wakes up to find that I have bought everything. (laughs) Um, so I'd say the most random thing I bought was I bought a bunch of different kitchen equipment because I've convinced myself, I convinced myself one morning because I had a dream about croissants that I would yes. make my own croissants. <laughs> that is like, that's, that's hard. hard. That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's multiple, pro level. That's a bold yeah. move. Yeah, I spent like Croissant. an hour researching. You're feeling bold. And I ordered all the equipment needed and I haven't even opened the boxes. <laughs> I'm that way too. I
2: getcha.
4: <laughs> just bought a, I, just, I just bought I, a fish spatula.
0: I was just gonna say that
3: at the beginning of the
2: quarantine. I bought a synth. Day, oh. like, <laughs>
4: nice. This is not a kitchen appliance, Myra. I
2: know. I'm telling you. You it's guys, great. at the
3: beginning of this quarantine, no offense, Dad. I don't mean to at you, but like, there were Please some do. like smoky, smoky, smoky ass nights in the kitchen. Okay, like. There would be some small <laughs> fires, and now Day is so good at cooking fish; it's insane.
4: Bon appetit, it, baby! Every
3: single day, something <laughs> comes yeah. in the mail, <laughs> and he did just get a fish spatula,
0: and it was worth it.
4: Wait, I'm telling you,
0: them. we're oh all God, turning we're into master chefs
4: eat. during this time, or trying yeah. to at least.
0: Oh yeah, I've definitely been cooking. My partner is been learning to cook because he lived like that whole like kind of studio no kitchen life, yeah, yeah. and microwave so hot pocket life. Together. Uh, I you know, I used to be vegan so I used to cook a ton right because like you can't be a vegan who doesn't cook um, and it's fun to get back into that but it's also like you know I've definitely been trying to get creative I get really competitive about people who I feel like like my brother and his wife are hiding in the woods through this whole thing right they're in this cabin in the middle of the woods And they're doing the whole, like, oh, we only go to the grocery store once every three weeks, and somehow we make everything stretch. And, you know, we're picking wild greens out in the forest for our salad. And I'm like, damn it, how can I, how can I do better than that? Like, what do I need to do? Like, what's the, what's the city version of that? (laughs) I'm not freezing enough things. I'm throwing away too much food. So right now I'm getting very, like, um, I don't know, almost romantic about it. Like, going back to my, like, roots, like, you know, growing up poor, of like, how can I make more leftovers work? No, yeah, <laughs> uh, make of leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like every yeah. day, but like like I've invented something. Um, you know, it's been interesting. Um,
4: I bet they can't make croissants in the woods.
0: <laughs> you know what? Oh, like, right. Say because Aham will try. Like the first thing he did was make like a beautiful focaccia and post it online. Oh like, wow! Making- okay, fine. It's you amazing. just can't
2: win. People, who- can't. I don't trust yeah.
5: people who make breads like that. It's too fancy. It's, too, it's so frustrating. <laughs>
1: Hey, this is Spec, just awkwardly dropping into the conversation to say that this episode went really long, but the conversation was great. So we want to give you the whole thing. We're going to break it into two parts. Uh, Tune in next week to hear the rest.